Good afternoon and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and responds to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years from secular sources. Many issues of religious liberty are decided by the nation's Supreme Court and the, judici- and the judiciary as a whole. People of faith won several victories in this last session, but there are more issues arising almost every day through the court system. The makeup of the high court and many of the lower courts has changed. Now, what does this mean for people of faith, and what are some of the issues facing us? I discuss this with Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty Executive Director, the Reverend Dr. Greg Seltz, on today's Free to be Faithful. Greg, welcome to the program. Jim, it's great to be here with you again, as always. Oh, Indeed, the pleasure's all mine. I still miss you on the Lutheran Hour, though, i got to tell you that. I miss it, too. I miss it, too. We'll, I think we'll be back on radio again soon, though, somewhere, somehow. Yeah, looking forward. We still, we still air uh, the program, but it's just not the same without your voice. Well, he's a good guy, so I pray for all the success for the new Lutheran Hour speaker as well. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, Greg, you are, you, I know right now you're not actually in D.C. at the moment, but... Uh, no, you, actually, Actually, I am. I'm in D.C. in my office right now. Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought you were out of... Oh, well. Never mind. (laughs) That's okay. Okay. I'm I'm here. Uh, We have witnessed uh, quite a tumultuous year or two in terms of the fights for religious liberty. Win some, lose some. Uh, We saw the Obergefell decision came, which uh, threw out the traditional uh, definition of marriage. Uh, We have seen persecution of... um, of Christians, uh, for example, uh, Baron L. Stutzman of Arlene's Flowers stands to lose everything. And there are other oh, cases yeah. that have been going. But we've had a few wins as well. And now That's we true. finally got a, uh, a full Supreme Court, and the makeup of that court has changed a little bit. And we've got some cases headed that direction, I think. What do you see happening, Greg? Well, I mean, when it comes to the Supreme Court, people need to understand uh, what we were striving for is that the court gets out of the legislative business. Um, the, the biggest problem that we've seen in the court in the last, oh, many decades is that they were starting to actually write law from the court. Obergefell is a good example of that. Suddenly, there's a constitutional right to a relationship that, you know, the Constitution really, that's not its business to define relationships and things like that. It was an individual's right before the law. So, the new guy that's coming in is an originalist. He's a person who actually says the Constitution is a fundamental document, and but we're not a legislative body, and, and people should celebrate that. That doesn't mean we're going to win all our cases just because he's on the court. He's, he's not going to legislate on the court any more than an activist would. Um, but So that's kind of what people need to understand. He's going to be an originalist who says the Constitution is a fundamental document, and laws then are... Um, brought or things are brought before it and their decision is whether it's constitutional or not and then it has to go back to the legislative body to uh actually bring it in line greg i think you i think you've really hit the nail on the head here uh we often hear about a liberal conservative split on the supreme court but i think really examining it we're looking at the justices who are what we call originalists as opposed to the justices who believe in the concept of the living document correct how do, you, how do they define the living document, do you think? Well, and it's like in biblical scholarship as well. You know, you have people who say the Bible is the Bible, and we need to apply 
what it says and what it means to our daily lives. And then you have people who say, well, no, it's a living document, and it means kind of what we say as we become more sophisticated and more modern or whatever, postmodern. And, and those of us who say, well, no, the Bible is a fundamental book, and it has fundamental teachings. These things don't change, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is a fundamental solution to humanity's needs. That needs to be applied in different languages and cultures, but it's the same message. It's the same discussion about the, the Constitution. Is the Constitution uh, protecting basic rights that never change? Is it, is it built on uh, anthropology and the views of humanity that never change? And that is the issue. Um, and those who say, no, it's not, it's a living document, they really are saying that those fundamental issues are not fundamental anymore. And so that's where the battle is today. It's not about conservative liberal. It's about whether these are fundamental rights, whether you have rights given to you by God, whether the government's not supposed to grant rights but supposed to protect the rights you already have, or the new way of thinking, which is the government is the all-everything, and it grants rights and takes away rights and all those different things. We, we call that tyranny. Yeah. And you know, a government that can give rights can also take them away. Right. And, and our founding fathers actually, again, were more suspect of government, not an individual's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, that's a fundamental philosophical idea. Either it's right or it's not. And those of us who are in America say, no, that's the idea we want to live under. Well, we've got a number of cases that are on the radar right now. I'm looking at uh, three right off the top of my head. They're not yet right. in the Supreme Court, but there have been uh, writs of certiorari filed, or, or I should say uh, the uh, the attorneys have asked for certiorari from the Supreme Court to hear at this session. Uh, one is the right. case of Coach Kennedy. Now, he is a, a football coach who has lost his right. job because he would stand, he would kneel in silent prayer for 15 seconds or so after the game. On after the game, after the game, yeah, on the fifty-yard line, and he was fired for right. that. Yeah, so, and again, it's one of these things. You know, we're getting to the point where, well, the first thing I always tell people is, you know, when did we become the kind of nanny state where every action of of people is decided by somebody in Washington D.C.? We used to live in a country where we said, don't make a federal case out of it. You know, let people be free to be who they are. And here's a guy who after the game is over, after everyone's left, goes to the 50-yard line to give thanks to God, you know, for all kinds of reasons. And, and then he, the people who do join him, join him freely out of their own free will. There's no compulsion. There, there's no in-your-faceness to this, nothing. And yet somehow the, the government has decided that that is one of these things. So we've got to purge our culture from this kind of sub, supposed evil. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is a good man. This is a man who's who's building morals and ethics into his kids, and at the very end of a game is thankful to God for what God is doing. Um, again, you, you have to ask yourself the question, what kind of country do we want to live in, and where does the government just get involved in these kinds of issues? We as Lutherans say the government should have no role in this kind of stuff. Well, I'll carry it a step further. I'm, I'm more concerned with the people who are levying these charges than I am with the government. And I, right. Would they raise the same issue, for example, if the, the coach was Jewish and was wearing a yarmulke, or if, uh, say, in a women's soccer team, the coach happens to be a Muslim woman and she's wearing a, a shador? Well, you, you might be onto something there, uh, because I think they'd be more afraid to do that. I think the Christian religion is the one that seems to be an attack in a culture that was built on Christian principles. But again, they're, they're leveraging a misuse of government. What, whoever they are, whatever their viewpoints are, we should, my point is, is let's have a persuasive dialogue about what kind of community we want to be. The founding fathers 
said, let that kind of debate begin and let it be a debate freely uh, offered and freely given. And if the people of that uh, high school absolutely want no Christian praying on the sidelines after, you know, after the game is over, wow, what kind of community is that? But I would bet you you'd find that the community would say, hey, we love that coach is that way, and he, we really appreciate his leadership of our kids. So it's meant to be something freely discussed and freely done, and what we've got now is a, uh, a group of people who are manipulating state power to actually shut down opposing voices, and that should scare everybody, and that's the kind of thing we should say, no, this is the wrong use of governmental power. Well, we did uh, have one victory that happened just uh, just recently. Uh and, uh, uh, boy, I'm having a, uh, one of our senior moments here. The guy was the uh, fire chief down in the city of Atlanta. And he, on his oh, own sure. time, yeah, and on his right. own time, he published a book, uh, a devotional book. And part of, it's, right. part of it was his personal views of, uh, of uh, sexuality and marriage. Well, right. the uh, city went bonkers over that. Uh, said he had to attend to a uh, sensitivity, a re-education sensitivity course, and then fired him for a book that he had put out on his own, on his own time. And uh, even the subsequent investigation by the city said he never had ever discriminated against anyone in his role. And in fact, he was he was decorated many times for his work. Now, fortunately... He won that case, and now the city of uh, Atlanta is out $1.2 million plus attorney fees because of what they did. And that's, that's persecution. There's no other way to say it, Greg. That is just flat-out persecution. Well, and on top of that, it, it, our culture is actually, in many ways, dying because of the, these, these policies that are being inflicted on us. The family is not just a relationship. This is what Obergefell you know, really hoisted on us. It, it made the family nothing more than a, your relationship and your personal happiness. No, the family, from the government's point of view, is the institution whereby you can have children and the government doesn't want to raise your children. And that, that relationship, the only one that can do all of those things is a man and a woman. And so the government used to regulate that. They used to limit the rights of, of, of people uh, so that they couldn't break that relationship up because they didn't want your children to be raised by, you know, one parent or no parents, and, and they didn't want your children to be wards of the state. That's the only government role that should be involved in these kind of relationships. Well, look what's happened. They've hoisted this new understanding of, of, the, of the constitutionality of relationships, and, and now we've got people who are defending the institution of marriage, trying to build up marriages, trying to write books that undergird it, uh, and, and they're being persecuted. So it's an odd thing when in a time of, marital breakdown and 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 this is this is rampant throughout the society uh, especially in our cities we've got a guy who's standing up for those things trying to in, in you know bring those qualities back into our culture and he's the one that's being persecuted all because of bad law and you're right it's a, it's pers literally persecution but it's also foolishness because it's heaping all kinds of societal problems on us that can only be fixed by having healthy families and we're moms and dads are raising their kids so it's it, it is a crazy time it is a crazy time but we've had some victories like you said and there's some good things that are happening so we got to be thankful for what the lord is doing for those in those areas well i do want to bring up uh, one issue i'm going to call it collateral damage uh you pointed right. out that one of the reasons why the original idea of the, uh, the uh, as far as the state was concerned of the family being that they didn't want to wind up being responsible for raising the kids there is a movement now in a number of jurisdictions to eliminate faith-based adoption agencies 
that will not. Oh, that's ad- yeah, yeah, that will not adopt to uh, to gay uh, gay families. Now, it's not that they're preventing other agencies from doing it. It's it's, it's uh, that they're trying to kick these ones out. Uh, there was a case, uh, for example, right. in Philadelphia, where uh, a lesbian couple went to the Catholic Social Services uh, group and asked to adopt. The Catholics told them that they couldn't do it because of religious doctrine, and then referred them to another agency that would. That wasn't good enough. Right. They went out and right. tried to nail it, and they, they and the city suspended their uh, their contract. And the same week, the same week, mind you, the city then put out a call for 300 additional foster homes because they couldn't handle all the children they already had. This is what's happening. And, and again, the question is... what. You know, I always I wrote a little article on this called "Why Does Every Deli Have to Be Kosher?" You know, we we have all these unique things that are going on, and we we're free to live according to our conscience. And then here come these people, and they can be serviced. They, there's all kinds of people who will service their particular needs. But what they're saying is, "But if you don't service my needs, we want to put you out of business." Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the you know, live and let live. This is supposed to be these same people were the. People in the 60s and 70s who said, live and let live. Everyone should be able to live and let live. And yet, now they're saying, if you don't live exactly the way we want you to live, then you have no right to live in this culture. And again, that's just not the American spirit. And uh, so, again, you pointed out some things. The sad part about it is, for some reason, people still don't understand how punitive this is and how destructive this can be if it really is unleashed in our culture. Well, what we're looking at now, and, and when you and I were growing up, the idea was tolerance. You know, we didn't necessarily have to agree, but we did have to tolerate the other person's point of view. What's happening now is, as you pointed out, it's punitive. If you don't agree with a particular point of view, you have to be punished because you're an evil person. This is what we're facing. Yeah, and we've weaponized politics. This is what I, I think is so destructive in our culture today. These are cultural issues. You can disagree about these issues and still be good neighbors. You can disagree about these issues and still uh, be a loving, caring neighbor. And, and so, again, it's one of those things where, you know, living together. This is another thing the church faces. We're, we're against those things. We want to build healthy marriages. We, the data says if you do that, chances are you're going to have divorce, and you're probably not going to have as a healthy a marriage relationship is, is if you don't do that. So we, we, we try to stay faithful to the biblical proclamation of these ethics for the sake of our people. But what these guys are saying is if you don't agree with our view of sexual libertinism, we're going to put you out of business, and we're using the state to do that. And what people need to understand is in this whole process, the state has suddenly become a grantor of rights, and that's a false view of the state in, in the American experiment. States it's a dangerous view. It's yeah, a, and they, 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 and their job is to protect the rights you already have. And this idea of relationships is not a constitutional right. Well, this, kids are too comfortable today thinking, yeah, the state grants rights as long as those rights are, you know, in accordance with what they think should do. It's a dangerous precedent. Yeah. Dangerous to think that the state grants you things. Um, that's when, that's when the, the idea, like you said, about the state that can grant you everything is the state that can take everything away. But another thing I think we're seeing right now is uh, the right not to be offended. Or you know, you see something, oh, that's offensive, therefore you can't do it. Uh, one of the things working yeah. up through the uh, court case right now, it's a case out in Maryland, uh, the Bladensburg Cemetery. Uh, the, the yeah, town, we're going to see what happens with that. Um, yeah. Well, the town of, I, want to, I want to bring our audience up to speed on that. The town of Bladensburg, yeah. after the First World War, had lost something like 46 of their sons on the, uh, in the trenches of the Western Front. And they erected 
a memorial to them in the shape of a cross. And it stood there for 90 years. And suddenly an atheist group comes up and says, oh, we're offended. It's a cross. Take it down. And the courts have agreed so far. Well, what's, what's happened, and this is what's so silly about it. First of all, it was paid for privately, private funds, for many, many, many years. So the government didn't erect this. The government didn't put it up. But the government put a highway nearby, and suddenly it, it grabbed hold of this, this land. And so now this land was public property. Well, the government was actually allowing people to still mow the property, keep it all cleaned up and everything. But they found out that that, you know, if someone got hurt, then there could be lawsuits. So the government took over the, the care of that land. And that's exactly now what these atheists are saying is government encroachment or government uh, being too entangled with the religion. So the, the weed eating and the cutting of the grass uh, around a cross that was put up by private monies and was paid for by private monies to honor the, the service of these people to their country. Now suddenly that's an offensive thing. Uh, this is where these folks are, are offensive, where they cannot honor uh, the, the kind of service that was, was granted. And so it's only by a, a happenstance that this has become public property. And so this is one of those things, again, where the federal government, you know, should just let the, 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 the folks uh, of, of the state, you know, th- there's nothing in the, in the Constitution that doesn't allow us to crosses uh, in our states and in our communities. It was just that the federal government was to stay out of those things. And this is one thing they should just stay out of. And since when is the display of a religious symbol establishing religion? I, uh, I'm, it, it isn't. Yeah, this, yeah it is. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I try to put the best construction on this because, you know, I hear people saying, well, you know, if, you, if the government starts to put up crosses. Well, again, I, I get you. There's a certain um, compulsion there that could go over the top. But we are so far away from any establishment of religion we're a culture of religious people that have the right to be religious. And what we're seeing is a small group of people weaponizing federal law to actually secularize us. And that's what we need to fight against, because we're not a secular country, and we will always be a religious people. And our founding fathers wanted to free religion and religious people, not to empower the state. Well, also, Greg, the thing to look at, as we as Christians... There are things that we have to do, and there are things that we simply cannot do. And now we're, we're being told that we have to violate our consciences or, or, or even, even uh, well, for example, the, uh, we've got the situation, of course, with the, with the, the, the wedding cake, which is probably headed right, back yeah. to the Supreme Court again, because that one was rejected initially simply because the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was so blatantly anti-religious in their initial ruling. But now it's, it's right. heading back through the court system again because the same day the ruling came down, an activist lawyer said, <laughs> went to a Masterpiece Cake Shop and said, oh, I'm a transsexual and I want my coming out cake. Yeah, yeah and you know what they're doing? You know, th- this is what's sad to me, and I think uh, uh, people of all goodwill all around the country should be up in arms because these guys are being targeted. Yeah, they these are. are not legitimate things where people are really hurting. They're sending in activists, and then they're trying to sue. And if those court, if the court accepts it, then they go forward. If it doesn't, they just move on to another activist and see if it's something that will stick. And what, what I really am bothered by is all these people get paid something uh, just for bringing the case. I mean, the people that, that attacked Jack Phillips before made $150,000 just by making the accusation, and that he almost lost his business. And even though he won that particular case, 
you know, where's the disincentive for, for these uh, silly lawsuits? Well, there isn't if you keep making cash like that. And so they're just targeting these guys and just saying we're going to do this. And the Supreme Court unleashed this on our culture when it actually weaponized the cultural dispute um, by overstating the case uh, of the Supreme of the uh, Constitution. And so they, they sidestepped it, too. That was that was the thing that bothered me about the Phillips case. Although he won, yeah. it was a very, very narrow ruling in that, well, you know, yeah. it, it, they didn't go after the ruling per se. They simply went after the fact that one of the commissioners, the head of the commission, was so vehemently anti-religious. They did not actually yeah. establish the freedom of speech or the freedom of, of religion ruling. And I think they're going well, they to did. have to. In Yeah, they did. And, and I think you're right on that. I'm just saying that the Obergefell... Uh, ruling is the thing that set us on this path because it weaponized the cultural issue that we're free to disagree with one another and still live civilly and, and humanely with each other. Well, they said no, and they overstepped their boundaries. And, and people think that they granted gay people rights. No, what they did is they established a right of, of um, relationship in the Constitution. And the Constitution is about your individual liberty before the state. And this idea of the government being involved in relationships, their only involvement with a male and a female is, is just because they don't want to raise children. I don't want them telling me what a good relationship is. I hope you don't. <laughs> think of the people in government. I don't think they're the ones who, who should be telling us what good relationships and bad relationships are. And they did this by law, and now we're going to have to deal with these things in our communities. Well, as you pointed out, by Obergefell, it wasn't by law. It was by judicial fiat. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They made it a fundamental law. And it's a, it's a, it's a misunderstanding of constitutional rights. And so we're going to have to litigate these things now from the, the ground up. And the goal here is, you know, again, when, to those who disagree with our view of marriage, we are not trying to get the government to, to grant our view of marriage. We're trying to get the government to grant, again, our freedom to be those who practice a different view of marriage. And we want to do that persuasively for the sake of our community. That's what we're asking for. And, and again, we're being, you know, now in this new age, we're being told you don't have the right to do that. And we're saying, yes, we do. Well, Greg is the head of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. You have a lot of contact with uh, policymakers, uh, decision makers, lawmakers, and pundits. What's the vibe that you're getting right now? Well, you know, with some of the stuff we just saw, even with the confirmation of the Supreme Court justice, I mean, it's it's becoming acute. Uh, things are coming to a point. But again, I, I would challenge all of our people. Our job is to is to be reasonable and humane and try to show that our positions on these things are are the best things for all people. And most of these are liberty issues for us. And and so we're not asking people to necessarily buy into our view of these things, but we are asking for the freedom to live uh, our conscience in the community and in our jobs and in our public life. And so I think the vibe here in, in um, D.C. is that, yeah, we have that freedom, and that's good. That's good. Uh, you still got to be the church in the community. You still have to be servants in the community and, and show the love of Christ to others, but we're being given the freedom uh, right now, uh, probably in ways we haven't for maybe 10, 15, 20 years, to, to actually do that. But there is a battle going on here, and uh, it's not just political. I think there's a spiritual battle going on here, too. So That's a good um, point. You know, yeah, God's got people People got to be praying about all the folks that are involved in this, because there's, there's people of goodwill on both sides, and some of them are coming together, too, for this religious liberty that is the right thing to do. 
Well, we do have a, a very important election coming up. This is the most uh, mm-hmm. exciting midterm election that I can ever hear. I, I can ever remember. You know, normally midterm elections are right. are, are kind of kind of boring. <laughs> this yeah. one is really heating up, boring. and I think it's it is incumbent upon all of us, both as Christians and as citizens, to be aware of what the issues are and how the candidates stand on these issues. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Right. And to educate, and I, I, go ahead, Greg. Go ahead. Well, I think too, you, you, you've got to come down to a fundamental understanding. What do you want the government to do for you, and then what do you want to do for yourself? And I think that's a fundamental discussion. And I think that is the fundamental issue that's going on today. More and more and more and more people want government to do more things for them. And the reality is, if that starts happening, there's going to be a secularization of our culture. It's a misuse of our laws. But it's going to happen that way. But if you want less and less and less, and you want more freedom and liberty to be who you are, those are the two issues. And you have to think about that. We've got, I don't put my faith in politicians, believe me. But uh, there are certain fundamental laws that do free us to be the kind of people we need to be. And so people should educate themselves, and they should vote accordingly. And then they've got to be the people that God has called them to be for the sake of others. And that's what we're up against. That's what we're t- looking at in this uh election cycle absolutely and uh you know you can go to the candidate site you can go for example in my newspaper here the uh st louis post dispatch just recently published a a voter's guide where you can go on and see what the issues are see what the candidates have said and then make uh, make your decisions accordingly on that uh also you know when we go to church every sunday we have the prayer of the church and i know in my church and i'm sure every every church around there we pray for our leadership as well Right. No matter who's in charge. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we prayed we same prayer under Obama as we uh, pray under uh, under Trump, asking for divine and guidance. And now, and again, like I said, no matter who's in charge, we ask ourselves the question: What can we do for ourselves? And and what do we want these people to do for us? And I think the American spirit has always said, "We'd prefer that you don't do a whole lot for us. We'd be happy to live our lives okay. freely." Thank you very much, Greg. We're in the last minute of the program. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think it's an exciting time. I'm glad we're here. Um, my biggest thing right now is we're protecting the public space of the church to be the church. Our schools, our churches, and our, our uh, universities are still in the crosshairs, and I think it's the, we're, we're defending the right of the church to be a public entity for the sake of its community. And I think that's just something we need your prayers. But you know what? God has been gracious to us this year. It's been a pretty good year. Well, thank you very much. I want to remind our, our audience you've been listening to uh, Free to Be Faithful, presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as a religious liberty, education, and awareness program. Free to Be Faithful airs the third Monday of every month. Today's guest was Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty Executive Director, the Reverend Dr. Greg Sulis, the voice emeritus of the Lutheran Hour. I'm your moderator, Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessings. been listening to Free to be Faithful, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for listening and supporting Free to be Faithful on Worldwide KFUO.